0: Welcome to Financial Modeler's Corner, where we discuss the art and science of financial modeling with your host, Paul Barnhurst. Financial Modeler's Corner is sponsored by Financial Modeling Institute. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. My name is Paul Barnhurst. I'm the host for this event and the host of the podcast, Financial Modeler's Corner. In this episode, we have with us three amazing modelers, and we're going to talk a little bit about their experiences in modeling. We're going to ask them some fun questions. And then we're also going to talk about the FMI certification program, which all three have uh, taken at least level one. And I believe a couple of them have taken level two. So why don't we get started with introducing our guests we have with us today? And Dave, if you'd just like to tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. We'll start
1: there. Yeah. Hi, my, my name's Dave. I'm a Chartered Certified Accountant with ACCA and I work for a small business uh, in the UK. We're a clothing retailer and we have our own menswear brand. And I took the AFM last year and I took the CFM this year, currently pending a result.
0: Got it. Thanks, Dave. Giles, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing? Sure. So I'm co-founder of Full Stack Modeler,
2: which, which is a training company. Uh, you know, we, we try and get people as good as they can be at Excel and, and modeling and, and data viz and analytics. And uh, yeah, I'm a lifelong modeler. Similar to Dave, I think I took AFM maybe two years ago and I am awaiting my CFM results with bated breath.
0: <laughs> well, good luck for both Dave and Giles on that second test. Why don't we uh, go over to Raphael now?
3: Hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. So my name is Rafael Lusso. I'm a director at PLUC Luxembourg. I'm in charge of valuation and modeling uh, advisory services locally. I took the te- the CFM test, uh, I think two two and a half years ago. Um, at the EFM, I took it on the first generation, so I think it was October or November 2017. So yeah, that's a bit about my. And I'm re- I'm based in Luxembourg, but I'm originally from Chile.
0: Thank you. Unfortunately, he didn't tell us he was still waiting his results, or I'd really be worried. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate all three of you letting us know a little bit about yourself and just the audience. If you guys have questions throughout this, please feel free to you know, add your uh, questions to the comments and we'll cover them as we can throughout the episode. We want this to be as interactive as we can. So the next question I'd like to ask each of you, and maybe we'll start with Giles on this one, is how did you become interested in financial modeling and just building financial models? How did that come about? I got really lucky so I I actually got a a
2: role as a modeler in my placement year from uni. I was I was the guinea pig at a company in the UK that I, I was probably doing it for cost reasons to see if they could get some cheap labor with a, with a student. But it was a test case. Could could a student handle the stresses of modeling in a sort of bid environment? Luckily, it was sort of sink or swim and I I managed to swim. And I went back into that role after uni and I, I just loved it. I, I always gravitated towards problem solving and being that Excel person really more so than, you know, worrying about becoming a manager or a, a director and, and things like that. And I, I've never really looked back.
0: So what is it you loved about it? You mentioned Excel, problem solving, but what was it about modeling in particular that you loved? I think it was just the fact that it it was a test
2: of your your own ability. You had to use your brain in unique ways, and yeah, I re I really took to Excel quickly. And I think, as everybody knows, you know, probably watching this, that there's, you can never stop learning things with Excel. We, I probably still only know ten mm-hmm. percent of what you can do. So I I, I just loved it, and. Um, yeah, it's hard to describe why, but that was just the thing that I felt really passionate about from the moment I stepped into the workforce.
0: I mean, that's awesome that you're able to figure that out in uni and have that opportunity from day one. So, Rafael, how about how about you? How did you, you know, kind of get involved in financial modeling and what interested you in that?
3: I think the first time I, I knew that uh, I, I would uh, I started appreciating Excel was the first time I saw my, my uh, a professor of mine showing us in our project evaluation course a data table a sensitivity table. And, and you see when you see this uh, how powerful this tool can be. I mean, you start saying, well, I mean, certainly there are many things that they can do around this. Uh, early in my career, and I, I work at another big four with a shorter name for almost ten years, uh, always <laughs> in the in, in the valuation and modeling department. And uh, coming from Chile, I was working a lot with uh, mining projects, with infrastructure projects, power uh, energy projects, and and it, it came to me uh, the importance of how how, how the models for all the valuation of all these type of uh, projects was very high and, and and that's where I started paying attention more to the models and and I started seeing models that were better than, than others. I promised myself that we'd be able to produce models of very high quality in order to be able to provide insight, uh, fuller uh, uh, conclusions for our clients and, and and since that point, I think I've I, I tried to to learn more and more about about modeling and that would take me to FMI eventually.
0: Great, no, I, I appreciate that. And thank you for each sharing that. So we're going to go to you next, Dave.
1: Okay, yeah. So one of the really great things about the organization I work for is that it's constantly changing. We've got new stores opening. We've got acquisitions going on. We've got disposals going on. And so more and more of my work over the last sort of five years has been more and more future looking, looking at different scenarios of we could open this store, we could open that store, And less and less about management account preparation and looking into the past, which is what my main qualification was around, which is why I started looking more and more into modeling and actually found that's a really interesting part of my role. It's one of the more exciting things. Um, And so, yeah, that's how I came to get really stuck in.
0: And you found you really enjoyed it, it sounds like. So that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great fun trying to build in um, as many sensible variables as you can without ending up with a really complicated model.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's always the challenge, the simplicity versus complexity. As I always like to say, try to keep it as simple as you can, because your partners you're working with will make it complex whether you want it to be or not before you're done. And I see some smiles there. I think everybody can relate to that one. So I like that. That's good. Yep. All right. So what we're going to do now, before we jump into talking a little bit about the certification and FMI, we're going to change the order up a little bit on this one and ask you guys the rapid fire questions we ask in our episodes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask one of you all the questions, then I'll ask the next, then I'll ask the last person, and I'll give you the opportunity to pick one that you want to elaborate on. So this is a fun section because one, you have to pick an answer. I don't want you to say, it depends. I get you could probably say it depends to every single one of these. I want you to, based on your experience, if you had to pick one or the other, which would you pick? We'll go through all of them. You'll get about 10 seconds to answer each question. Then I'll go to the next person. We'll run through them. And as I'm going through them, you know, the audience, if you want to answer, feel free to throw what your answer would be to each of these. We'd always love to hear, you know, different opinions. We just had someone. Mentioned they're coming in from London in the UK. So great, happy to have you. So Dave, why don't we start with you on these rapid fire questions? And I'm just gonna work from right to left here on my screen. We'll go from top to bottom. So in your view, circular or no circular references in a model?
1: No circular references.
0: VBA or no VBA?
1: A small amount of VBA.
0: Horizontal or vertical model? Vertical works for me. Dynamic arrays in your model, yes or no?
1: Yes, but don't overdo it.
0: Okay. Workbook links. Yes or no? External workbook links. Oh,
1: Necessary evil in my business.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I haven't had anyone say, oh, I love having them. So uh, named ranges or no named ranges?
1: No named ranges.
0: Okay. Do you follow a formal standard like fast or smart or one of those that's out there for your modeling? No. No. Will Excel ever die? No. Will AI build the models for us in the future?
1: Yes. Already happening.
0: What is your lookup function of choice? VLOOKUP, index match, XLOOKUP, or choose? Index and X match. All right. There we go. You had to throw in that X match. Um, you, should we use sheet cell protection in our models? Yes. Okay. And the last one Do you believe financial models are the number one corporate decision making tool? If no, what do you think it is? Yes. All right. Great. So we're going to run through that with Giles here next. Circular or no no circular references?
2: Before we do that, can I just say, I listened to all of your podcast episodes and I enjoyed hearing everyone else squirm under these. And all I want to say now is it depends to every answer, but I'm I'm going to play the game.
0: (laughs) That's the whole goal, to make you squirm. Exactly, yeah. So no circular references. VBA or no VBA? No VBA. Horizontal or vertical? Horizontal. External workbook links, yes or no? No. Dynamic arrays, yes or no?
2: Yes, but that's the one I want to come back to.
0: All right, we'll get you all. We'll give you all a chance to come back when we're done here. Named ranges versus no named ranges. If it's black or white, they're there or not. Then yes, named ranges. Okay. Formal standards, do you follow them? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Will Excel ever die?
2: Uh, everything dies. I just need it to not die before me because I don't have a backup career. <laughs>
0: will ai build the models for us in the future absolutely so what is your lookup function of choice x lookup all right you and i are on the same page there okay so should we use uh sheet cell protection in our models yes all right and do you believe financial models are the number one corporate decision making tool yes or no
2: i think people are the number one tool, but spreadsheets are the best supporting tool for them So no.
0: All right. So we'll come back to you. I know you want to elaborate on one. We'll come back to you once we've gone through all these. So Rafael, are you ready? Certainly. Yeah. All right. Circular or no circular references? No circular reference. All right. VBA or no VBA? No VBA. Horizontal or vertical? Vertical for me. Dynamic arrays. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. External workbook links, yes or no? Certainly not. Named ranges or no named ranges? No named ranges. Uh, Do you follow a formal standards for your models?
3: PUC has a global financial modeling guideline, so I would say yes.
0: So you follow theirs versus the other ones out there. Makes sense. Will Excel ever die?
3: It will. All right. We'll take some time, but
0: (laughs) yes. Yeah, I think everybody who says yes at least says it will take some time. Will AI build the models for us?
3: Yes, certainly.
0: Okay, what is your lookup function of choice?
3: Index match followed by X lookup.
0: And should we use sheet cell protection in our models? I would say no. Fair enough. And do you believe financial models are the number one corporate decision-making tool?
3: They are one of the important ones. I don't know if the number one, but uh, I think that many decisions are not taken with uh, based on models and they should.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of times they probably should be used that they're not. But all right, so why don't we... Rafael, we'll give you, since you got the last one to go, we'll give you a first opportunity to elaborate. If there's any of those that you want to elaborate on your answer, we'll give you a, a minute here to elaborate on it. You can pick one.
3: Okay. I mean, I think that I could go with the uh, Will Excel Ever Die? That one, I, I think it, it, it's a tricky uh, it's a tricky question. I, I, I think that eventually, I mean, we we'll see that there are many uh, other uh, software that are competing with it. In terms of functionality, I mean, we we, we can find other software that can be better. Um, However, I think that it's very difficult to replace something that's universally accepted for the same reason that in valuation we're stuck with some methodologies that, that, that have been demonstrated not to be valid ones, so the most relevant ones, but uh, we still use them because everyone is accepting them. And to, to a very high extent, the same happens with, uh, with, with, with Excel. I mean, uh, you, will not, uh, you will not build uh, a financial model in Python if it needs to be reviewed by your auditors, by, by your stakeholders that do not know how to review this uh, with other, uh, using other softwares.
0: Great points. All right. Giles, I know you had you one one you wanted on elaborate on. Yeah, dynamic arrays. So I mean, if if I were
2: doing client work nowadays, which I'm I'm not really doing in any of, I, I'd still be quite hesitant to throw in things like dynamic arrays and the newer stuff. But I hundred percent believe that's where financial modeling is going to end up. Um, I heard some feedback from the the collegiate challenge. I think that might might have been from you, Paul. Everybody was using dynamic arrays there already. So without a doubt, I think the future of modeling is going to be dynamic array based. Let Lambda, we'll see, but but certainly based on dynamic
0: arrays. Great. Appreciate that. And I, t- I tend to agree with you on that one, Giles. I think you are are similar on that. Dave, which is the one you'd like to elaborate
1: on? Uh, yeah, I'm going to elaborate a little bit on work but links and why I said that they're a necessary evil. I figured you would. The people who say absolutely not are the people who don't have to deal with what i have to deal with. So we have to combine several kind of SBUs worth of historical data to get rolling models going. And they come from different people. Because we're a a small business, we don't have an enormous database we can connect Excel to. We don't have some tens of thousands of pound ERM system. You can just pull the data out in a single report. Um, So unfortunately, it is a necessary evil. Obviously, the reason I say evil is because people preparing the source data that you're trying to refer to, move lines, they add rows, they add columns, they change headings. (laughs) And you can get around that a little bit if you're clever with your formulas and you have indexing and matching going on all the time. But that really slows down your model. So our, our golden rule is before you give this model to anybody else, you must break every single link. So the links only exist to bring in the source data. Then you break the links before you let anybody else touch the model if you're giving it to other users. All right. Appreciate
0: the uh, explanation there. Each adding a little bit. We're going to move past that section and just uh, talk a little bit about the FMI. I know each of you decided to invest in taking the certification. And so where I'd love to start is just why did you guys decide to take it? And on this one, we'll start with you, Raphael. What led you to decide to take the FMI?
3: I screen CVs from time to time because we need to recruit people. And I cannot, I, I, I don't think I have ever seen a CV lady that doesn't have, say that they have advanced Excel. <laughs> and... If everyone has advanced Excel, how do we differentiate uh, one another? So I, I think that for me, I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to be able to put uh, in my CV at some point that I was proficient working with complex models. And when I learned about the FMI the first time, I said, look, I mean, this is uh, certainly uh, something that will, will, is going in the right direction. Uh, so that's why I did not hesitate to sign up uh, at all uh, the fir- on the first generation of the FMI. And I think it was a good decision that was part of the motivation to be able to show that uh, that uh, there were differentiating features in this uh, uh, certification.
0: It makes a lot of sense, right? Because anyone can say they're good at financial modeling in a CV, but showing some certification or training or something beyond that that really validates it, right? If I'm an accountant, I show my have my CPA, people know I've hit a certain level. If you get your MBA, whatever it may be, there are different things you can do to help validate that beyond... Yes, I'm advanced in Excel, whatever that means, right? Or I'm an advanced financial modeler, whatever that means, because everybody has a different idea of what that means. So Dave, how about you? What led you to take the FMI?
1: Well, as I said, a lot more of my work was getting more and more forward-looking, and I was finding actually I, I didn't really have the skills, particularly around modeling a balance sheet. Cash flow and P&L, you kind of do that all the time, but modeling a balance sheet and some of the working cap requirements, I just didn't really have enough knowledge And the chance came up with ACCA to take part in the first kind of group cohort they did, a strategic partnership with. FMI, So it came up as part of ACCA's kind of feed of CPD that's available. Um, so I took part in that. It was the first one. I think they've done at least one more, uh, and they're carrying on into the future. So if anyone from ACCA is listening in, the next cohort with them enrolls in early 2024, um, and you can study with people from the same organization. So, you know, you're all accountants, none of these FTNA guys. Hey, um, I'm
0: offended by that part. <laughs> I, I saw that little... I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, so I, I, the chance came up and it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And that's why I went on to do CFM because I thought, actually, do you know what? I'm really enjoying learning all this stuff. Great, thank you. Giles, what about yourself? Uh, it was easy for me. So I, I
2: had members of my own community at Fullstack coming to me and saying they'd passed it or they were taking it and asking me questions. And I just hated that I couldn't I couldn't give them anything. I couldn't say like, yeah, make sure you do this or it's, it's these bits are tricky. Uh, so so, I felt a kind of growing sense of of motivation to to get through both levels really, so that I could start you know interacting with my with my
0: own members and that kind of answers a little bit of my next question. I know you' run full stack modeler you're training a lot of people on modeling, and so I was kind of wondering why you decided to take it because it felt like okay it's not something you need to be on your c v if you're training people every day all day on modeling, so it sounds like it was really a motivation to be able to have those conversations and help your own students. Is that what I'm hearing? It's part of it. I But,
2: but I I I'd probably say there's still like a credibility thing, even for me, you know. So, so yeah, I, I train people and I'll, I'll do some, you know, webinars on modeling. But I think you could still be somebody that does webinars for 40 minutes and takes a few structured questions. But does that mean that I'm really good at modeling? Do I actually know what, what to do if I'm under pressure? And I think one of the really good things about FMI is if you've got AFM, or both AFM and CFM on your CV, that is a level of credibility that says, you know what you're doing. And and I do think, you know, if if you were a hiring manager who knew about modeling and you had two people and one person had maybe slightly more experience, but the other had AFM and CFM on their CV, I think you would
0: choose the person with AFM and CFM, or I would if I was hiring. Great. No, I appreciate that. And I'm curious, before we get to your answer, Rafael, for one second, you said you do some hiring. Are you starting to see people have that on their CV? Like, are you seeing that periodically where people may say AFM or CFM or not really yet?
3: Not really. Uh, I've seen a, a couple and there are others. But I think there are other tools now that uh, have been become more more uh, present. But yeah, I mean, I think that now there is more ways to justify that there is a certain level of competence. For me, the gold standard is still uh, FMI, but we see others that are more basic, that are showing UCVs and that help us to differentiate the knowledge.
0: I like how you said the gold standard is FMI. I think the fact, you know, you see a lot of certifications where all you do is memorize I mean, I think historically, a lot of the CFA, if anyone's taken that, I took level one, I felt like I spent forever level you know memorizing formulas. And that doesn't necessarily test that you know how to do it in the real world. And I think that's one of the things I like most about FMI is, right? It's an uh, experiential experience. You're really building a model very similar to something you may see in work. Of course, is it the exact same no, but a lot of similarities. and I think that adds a level of you know credibility to something is to go, hey, I know they've been doing actual work. They've had to not just memorize something and guess on a multiple choice test and hope they passed. Any thoughts to that, Dave? I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: I was just thinking, I don't I don't really hire many people. Um, so I, well, not in finance anyway. So I wouldn't have seen it going around, but being part of the community uh, with FMI and also with ACCA, I can see that Ian is here, there, and everywhere all over the world rolling this out with more and more people. So although I don't think it's enormous yet i think it will be it's very quickly becoming the the known standard for people who know what they're looking for um and so i can see it in in the very near future
0: yeah no definitely i know they've made a lot of you know strides in those partnerships i believe if i'm not incorrect giles don't you include that in part of your package that people can take the fmi isn't there a kind of partnership there
2: yeah, we we've got a bundle that I'm very proud of because it's it's full stack, modeler, fmi, Maven Analytics, and um a season pass with the World Cup team. So we try at Full Stack to lean into what FMI does a lot. Uh, you know, I personally love it. I I tell all of our members and bear in mind our full stack members are doing a three-stage kind of accreditation program with us. And I tell all of them, you should be going and getting FMI on your CV when they
0: get into our modeling stage. Great. And so re- real quick, we're going to just switch gears here for one second. You also mentioned they get a season pass for Financial Modeling World Cup. So those who are listening who don't know, you know this will be released a couple of weeks from now. But at the time we're recording this, last week was the Financial Model World Cup and they had all the The champions. And I know, Giles, you've competed in the different stages. And why are you a fan of that? Why do you push people to kind of do the financial modeling World Cup in your bundle? I mean, I've competed, but I've never done particularly well, because honestly, (laughs)
2: it's really humbling taking part in, in those competitions. I think it's very unique. And again, if you think of how unique FMI is, I think the World Cup is really, really unique as well. And for almost everyone that's looking at it, and, and I've spoken to lots of people who've kind of thought about entering, but then thought, this looks horrible. I don't want to feel stupid. I don't want to look stupid. Firstly, you can anonymize your name. So, so you don't ever have to look stupid to anyone else, but also like just accept you're going to do badly at it probably for a long time. But every time you compete, you learn something. I got completely stuck on using indirect, which I've used a million times, but under pressure with 30 minutes, my (laughs) brain just melted
0: and and that was it. Uh, But but I'll never get that wrong again, I can promise you. I can confirm you'll get better. My second time was, I think my score was about six times my first try. So definitely I made progress. Well, you were very brave because you went live publicly on your
2: first ever attempt, which I had huge respect for. (laughs)
0: Yes, and then I proceeded to bomb, which I'm totally <laughs> fine with. It was a good experience, but we won't talk too much about that. So, David, I'm curious. You know, you spent your whole career in corporate finance. It sounds like it was really that move when you started doing more forward looking from accounting that had you decide to take the FMI. So, what I'm curious is is how has it really helped you in your work? Have you seen it kind of help you day to day doing a better job in modeling, or what are some of those things you've brought into the workplace from the experience?
1: Absolutely. So first of all, we now have a a really good rolling forecast. So every time we produce management data going back 12 months, we also produce uh, a forecast fit for the board that goes forward up to up to 60 months. Also, a lot of the kind of work I've been involved in over the last year, there's been some insolvency work, there's been some acquisitions, there's been new store openings, there's been decisions to close stores. All of those things have needed um, modeling into the future. And I think I've done a better job of every single one of those areas of my job over the last 12 years than I did in the preceding 12 years because of the skills that I learned. And part of that, um, talking about competitions, is just problem solving and working under a reasonable amount of pressure to come up with something quickly. It's amazing how being under pressure
0: changes things. Like you can do something when you're practicing on your own and you have six hours to figure it out, but when you gotta figure it out in 30 minutes, it often changes the game. In today's business world, financial modeling skills are more important than ever. With Financial Modeling Institute's Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation Program, you can become recognized as an expert in the field by validating your financial modeling skills. Join the Financial Modeling Institute's community of top financial modelers, gain access to extensive learning resources, and attain the prestigious Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation. Visit www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code podcast to save 15% when you register. So, you know, Raphael, I'd love to know how, it, how having both AFM and CFM, how they've helped you in your work, you know, how they've kind of helped you in your job and the benefits they've brought beyond just having it on your CV, but maybe if you have an example you could share of how they've
3: helped you in your work. I mean, I think that's difficult to relate, uh, but um, generally, I mean, what you see is that uh, for example, we uh, were here in Luxembourg, to give you an example, uh, around half of, or, I mean, 80% of the work that we do is for alternative investment fund managers. Among them, the largest infrastructure funds worldwide normally have uh, funds here. And we need to review the valuation for their assets. We need to assist them with portfolio valuation. The models that you will see that they share for us for valuation tend to be models that have, I mean, the same models that they use during the investment uh, phase. Mainly uh, project finance models that have five thousand to ten thousand unique formulas uh, more than more than thirty tabs and uh, being able to have in place or to, to be able to work around efficiently with these models safely because the risk, the spreadsheet risk that you have with these models is, is very it can increase uh, very uh, very quickly. The fact that you that you can be confidently working with these models I mean uh, helps you to 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 work better and to to provide better service to our clients. And
0: I love that last part of better service to the clients. You know, that's something you emphasize, Dave, right? You're able to roll that package up better for the board. So at the end of the day, you really want to be better for your clients, for your end users. I think that's one of the big benefits that I hear people talking about. So I'd like to get your thoughts, Giles. I mean, I know you know the industry well, and obviously you provide training, so how do you, you know, kind of differentiate the FMI from the other programs out there? Like what makes it unique to you that you included in your training? I mean, I, th- I think certainly the,
2: the exam approach itself is unique. And if I'm right, it reminds me of my SEMA days a little bit, but where you, you kind of have to study and then, you, you know, you've got an exam to get through. I kind of agree with everything Dave was saying earlier that, that I think Ian is building some amazing partnerships and I think it's only going to grow and grow I think the level that you're tested at, at both levels, AFM and CFM, has been pitched really well. So AFM, you have to do a certain amount of studying, as as you know, you've got coming up, Paul. But if you do that and you learn the fundamentals of building a three-statement model, you will pass. Because within reason, with a few tweaks, you kind of know what's going to come up. And then CFM, as I just found out in, in October, is a big step up and it's hard you know and i'm guessing the pass rate is a lot less than it is for afm but it's appropriately hard and it can be a bit frustrating because you're going to study for things that you won't get tested on some of the things in the the topic list i think lean really nicely on experience so if you've got years and years of modeling experience in the real world which i think Raphael and dave have both talked about at times you know you build up this knowledge bank of uh, it's almost just like ways of thinking to, to solve logical problems. It's like Tetris. You've got to think of things visually and then, and then connect everything together. So I think CFM gives you a massive advantage if you've got experience. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, a, it's appropriately difficult. It's probably what I would say.
0: Great. So I'm going to share a comment here, and think Danielle made a great point here as you were talking, Giles, and she said, and for anyone thinking about doing the CFM, one of the best places to train is the FMWC, but it's comforting to know that the FMWC is generally far more difficult than what you're likely to see on the CFM.
3: If I can comment on this, I think Danielle is being very modest because, I mean, I failed the first time I had this, uh, I took the CFM, so which is, uh, I mean, for me it was the, one of the most difficult exams I've been uh, confronted with. Uh, I'm a CFA charter holder, but I think this is, uh, is uh, CFM is a very grueling exam. I mean, you don't know what to expect when you sit uh, for the exam because there are many different types of exercises you can you can get. And the second time I took the prepare the preparation course from Danielle. Which was uh, one of the only few available courses uh, at that time, and it was very helpful for me to gain uh, confidence and to be able to pass the exam. So I think that oh, certainly a financial modeling workup is a, is a good preparation, but uh, I think that Danielle has a very good course to prepare for for the exam.
0: Yeah, I've heard great stuff about her courses. I know she has some to help prepare, and she she knows her modeling stuff as well. She's a great 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 resource out there to follow on LinkedIn if you're not following her. I think everybody here and everybody in the financial modeling community knows she does a lot of great work and the stuff she's putting out. So I I totally agree with you, Raphael. But let's talk a little bit more. So we've mentioned FMWC is one way to prepare. Obviously, studying for the certification is a way to get better at modeling. But maybe any other tips or things you found that have really helped you to get better at modeling? I mean, obviously, there's the uh, easy answer practice. But, you know, kind of any thoughts beyond that, Dave?
1: Yeah, perhaps not uh, preparation for AFM and CFM, but uh, listen to your users. If they ask for a certain thing, think about either building it in or communicating with them why it's not a good idea to build it in. And sometimes you do have to say no. That actually is too, that will complicate it or that won't actually make a big difference. Let's pick two or three things that are actually going to really impact the outcome scenarios. And let's not worry about what percentage credit card fees are going to be because it, it's great to add, but it's not actually really going to change the model.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. There's something to be said for focusing on key drivers and learning to really hone in and do a good job of those instead of trying to guess 60 different variables at an average level because you've just complicated the model and you probably really haven't added a whole level of uh, accuracy. So we'll, we'll go to Giles next on this. Your thoughts, Giles?
2: Yeah, I mean, just picking up on that, I, th- I think that that's one of the things you gain as, as, you, as you get more years of experience is an ability to see the materiality of things. You'll hear this being said everywhere, but building things in a simple way, models and beyond models, is a really hard skill. It takes mm-hmm. more time quite often to build things that are simple. Um, so I would, say, I would say that just to add to Dave's point. I used literally on my first job, I used to go around the office. Literally, I would walk around the office and I would say to everybody in different teams that I didn't know, are you struggling with anything in Excel? Sometimes it wasn't pure financial modeling. But I, I guess the point of me sharing that is like be proactive in seeking other opportunities to test yourself to find challenges because the more you can test yourself, you, you, you might find yourself solving problems that you solve once and 10 years down the line, maybe in the CFM exam, you'll use it once ever again in your life, but, but you can't get
0: enough experience. So,
2: so go, be very proactive in finding it.
0: I think that's great advice. And there's two things I'd like to comment. I love when you said simple is hard because a quote I often teach whenever I'm doing design principles or stuff around modeling or Excel, I'm like, simple is hard, complex is easy. It is almost always harder to really make it simple. And one of the examples I give is I can write this nasty if statement, nested if statement for something, or I could take the time to create a helper column and do some kind of lookup, which may take me more time initially and maybe a little harder to think through but it's much more dynamic, it updates, it's easier for people to understand. Everything about it is better, but often we default to the nested if because that's quick and easy, but it's really more complex for the end user. And the second one I really appreciated is, you know, asking people questions they have. I think forms are a great way of, around Excel or different things like that. Not as much as it used to be because a lot of people now ask ChatGPT and you know Google and all those things to answer those questions. But we'll turn to Raphael who's next on this question. Any advice there, Raphael, from your end?
3: Certainly. Yes. I think that uh, a critical point is to understand the questions you want to answer. That means that will that will help you to form your models to understand how your models need to be structured. And also, uh, if you want to get better at modeling, I mean, whenever you want to start a model, my advice will be to unplug your computer, to take a blank sheet of paper and start drawing a map for the model and understanding what, how do you want your model to be structured? Because this will this will help you uh, uh, to have a cleaner structure in terms of your models and understand much better the flow of information. And, and I think that, that for me works uh, perfectly.
0: I think that's great advice. It's like, when well, they tell you to shut off your computer when you're building a presentation and jot down some of your thoughts on sticky notes. The example I often use is I compare it to building a house, right? If anyone's ever had a house built, you don't just hire somebody, whether they're qualified or not as a contractor and start building. You start with a blueprint, then you find a qualified contractor. You do an inspection at the end. There's a lot of similarities. And so I really like that. You know, shutting it off and spending some time thinking about what that model is going to look like. I mean, I didn't do that at first, know, I didn't start in investment banking or somewhere where I got taught about modeling or Excel. Did my MBA start in a role where there was no training and I built a lot of Franken models, as I call them, you know, kind of that Frankenstein thing. And they were awful. And I kind of had to learn it all myself. And I think that's why I'm such a big fan when I hear people talk about really about thinking about design. Because I got good at Excel and I could get the answer and those type of things. But I wasn't designing them well. I just hadn't thought through. You look like you were about to add something there, Giles. I was, so I, I it's, it's interesting. I remember years
2: ago at a model off event in London, uh, Ian Bennett, who you, you may know, who I, I'm going to get this wrong. I think he's at PwC, very senior. Yeah. So, um, heads up, you know, uh, has, has managed lots of modelers there. He did a talk on modeling years and years ago, and I remember he said he gets his teams typically to spend 40% of their project time in the scoping phase. And that that number never left my mind because it just astounded me how high it was. 40% of time in the in the planning phase, before you start tapping away at your functions, you're just figuring out what you're going to do and how you're going to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, I could say I'm not at 40%. That's That's some good advice. It just it shows the importance of planning. You work for PwC, Raphael. Any thoughts on that, on that 40% number? Have you seen that kind of being?
2: I hope I've got that right, by the way, because it was nearly 10 years ago. So hopefully it was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we will hold into it. No, no, that, that sounds about right for me. I mean, uh, I think that the scoping, how much time you need to dedicate, understand what needs to be answered. Uh, I, I think that the critical phase, I mean, it's this is like theory of chaos. Every single project you have you have worked on starts very structured, or with uh, everything is tidy and in place. And and whenever you finish, I mean, things start to unfold, and and you don't you start having less control of what's about to happen when you're reaching the deadline. That's why the critical part is to decide uh, how you're going to scope, how you're going to structure the project, and what's the map and the, the roadmap that you need to follow during the project.
0: I think you know definitely one thing we're hearing from everybody here is. Spend more time up front. You know, also find ways to improve your technical skills, your critical thinking. We've talked about FMWC. We've talked about taking the test. We have talked about Giles running around the office and asking people if they had a problem. Although, you know, ask them Excel problem, don't just say problem in general, or that could be interesting. Very true. So, you know, there's there's lots of ways to do that. Obviously, one thing I'd like to ask each of you, you know, if we have a, someone here in the audience thinking, you know, I probably should do FMI. Is there a point at their career? Do you think it makes the most sense? Like, if someone's just getting started, would you recommend they do it right out of college? After a few years of modeling, kind of your thinking when they're you know starting to look for other jobs, or any advice around when they should take it? And I'll get your thought first, Raphael. What do you think you would kind of offer there for people?
3: I think AFM is pretty, very suited for anyone started the careers in finance uh, or anyone uh, that's looking to transition uh, more to a modeling role, corporate finance role, et cetera. CFM, I think that this is more like graduation uh, to show that your skills have improved and that you are at the right level to uh, execute more complex models. I don't think there is a definite only one stage to it. I mean, uh, if you enjoy modeling, I mean, and and most of the people that that end up getting into this uh, program the ones I know is because they are legitimately enjoying uh, being within a model for four hours or more and, and to make it, and they flow, they are in the state of flow, of emotional flow when they are working in Excel and building a uh, different type of models.
2: Giles, your thoughts on that? Quite similar, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think AFM is, is a really good challenge, even if you're pretty early on in your career. I mean, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to to learn how to build three statement models as early as you can if you if you're going into this sort of area of of a career path. CFM like I said it's um I'd probably I, I think everybody should should try and do it to be honest but as I said earlier the, the experience gives you a huge advantage maybe there's a little bit of a counter risk like if you if you just go straight into CFM and you've not got much experience and then that's on your CV people might think you're more experienced than you are but but I, I don't know I, I think you could still do it and get the experience you've just got a much higher likelihood of
1: passing if you've got years of real world experience behind you
0: Dave, how about yourself?
1: So I, I can obviously mainly speak from stages, I suppose, of being qualified or experienced as an accountant. AFM is built around a three-statement model, and you really do need to understand those three statements and how they knit together and how they interact with each other. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a model that doesn't balance, and you'll spend a lot of time and a lot of stress trying to make it balance in the exam. So you really need to get that down pat. So um, I would say in kind of SEMA and ACCA, there's a stage called Part Qualified where you've done most of the technical skills. And just before you move on to the professional level stuff, which is more about corporate and strategy, that would be a great time to start looking at AFM. CFM is quite a step up. And as Giles said, real world experience really helps. So I wouldn't rush straight into CFM if you are relatively early in your career and your qualification journey. There's plenty of time to do it a few years down the line and you'll probably find it more rewarding because you'll have better experience and you will have naturally honed your problem solving skills before you take on CFM. I think if you do it too early, you might find it really demotivating and quite draining and you might think, God, I'm never going to get anywhere with this because it's so hard.
0: Good advice. Thank you on that. So, you know, I'll summarize what I heard there. AFM early in your career, as a general rule CFM, you want some solid experience behind you before you take it if you decide to take it. I want to share one uh comment that came in. You know, I'm wondering why it's not part of the regular graduation, at least the basics. So I'll comment a little bit on this and then I'll give any of you the opportunity to add your thoughts. I know in is trying to work to add it some some programs in colleges. I think in general. The college doesn't do a great job of adding modeling to the program and really learning details of modeling. They have so much they're teaching you around finance and other things. But I do know there are areas where they're trying to add it, similar like you see CFA, and there's some people who take it right out of undergrad and things they've done to try to incorporate that in the program. I do think universities in general should do a better job of teaching how to design a model and some of those modeling skills to help us when we come out. I'll uh, give Any of you three, if any of you want to tackle that one, just raise your hand and I'll give you the mic.
3: I uh, lecture at university, so I've lectured at uh, 11 business schools so far. Uh, There there is one that I've been lecturing for the past six years, which is Grenoble Ecole de Management. And uh, I think that the the, the added value that we have as practitioners coming there is that we, I mean, you you, you realize quite soon that the amount of exposure that the students, even last year's students, have had to working with Excel, working with financial modeling can be limited. Some of them had it through their internships. Some of them don't have much. Whenever I lecture, I try to incorporate this, and I think this is partly, I mean, where, where, we, we, where we can add more values as, as, as practitioners. But uh, as you mentioned, I mean, I don't see that most schools are incorporating it um, systematically, even if many of them are already conscious and they are moving towards the, the right uh, direction. Uh, it's not something that, that we see everyone doing at the moment
2: so uh, i 'm going to have to plug my vlog now because uh, i I was in Australia with Danielle and Rickard Warnerlid from Mazar's recently, so Rickard shared some really useful insights with me, and the main one that jumps out is that this whole idea of being a career financial modeler is is quite a recent thing so so it almost doesn't surprise me that. It's not kind of embedded in all of these kind of other establishments. I, I, I get the sense we're heading in the right direction. But yeah, I think if you went back 15 years, the idea of standards and you know certifications for a financial modeler's career was, was probably a little bit alien, or, or
0: at the very least, right at the start of what it's become now. Yeah, I would agree with you. I remember in on one of the shows commenting, you know, when he started his this career, it was the wild, wild west, right? Anything went, basically. You just figured out how to build the model. And that was a little less than 30 years ago. So it, it, I agree with you. It used to never be that financial modeling was your
1: career. And you're seeing that more. Any thoughts on that one, Dave? Yeah, I was actually thinking along the same lines. Uh, the more people carve out a bit of a career for it, the more people will start planning to go into it. And so that will generate a little bit more demand in the, the education sector, I think, for the, getting those basics Or something, you know, some people, they might not get the opportunity to try it, but have they done so at that stage, they might have thought, you know what? This really floats my boat and I'm going to, I want to do this as part of my career. And I think that that's part of the journey that modelling is on as a, as a path. It's becoming more and more important. It's becoming more and more standardised and, and there's a discipline behind doing it properly. I also think some of the skills that it teaches you presentation, planning, good structure, simple is hard, complex is easy, all of those things would be great to have in as early as possible for all aspects of your career. Because a lot of what we all do is actually not about the technical side, it's about communication. This job is about people, it's about talking to people, it's about giving them information instead of data. And the sooner you learn some modelling, the the better you'll get at all of those things, which will make you successful, whether modelling is your full-time vocation or if like me, it's just a chunk of your job.
0: I love what you said there around the, the communication and the other skills that are so important. I had the opportunity to present when I was at the training last week for the Financial Modeling World Cup. And I, what they had me speak on is what I've learned from interviewing over 100 finance leaders, because I've done this so much. And One of the things I said and kind of joke, I realize this is going to be hearsay, but it's not about Excel, guys. It's not about your technical skills. Right You know as you're talking to people it's really about having those conversations and the business partnering and understanding the business and being able to validate it. You need those skills to build the model, but if that's all you have, you've sold yourself short. you're not going to be able to do what the business needs. you need to know the business as you said, Dave, you need to know how to communicate so modeling is one of those things that help you communicate and help people make smart decisions, but the model isn't your product in the sense of. As one person put it, he goes, the spreadsheet is not your product, the insights are. It's that process you go through to ensure you're making a smart decision. So, you know, we're coming near the end of our time here. So I can ask a question of each of you. And if anyone in the audience has a question, feel free to put those in the chat. But what I want to ask, if if you could give our audience members, you know, those listening, one piece of advice that would help them be a better financial modeler? What would that piece of advice be? And maybe we'll start with you on this one, Giles. I've already said my one about going and being proactive. So I I think what I would say is,
2: I think there's a roadmap of skills, that there there are layers that you can, or or steps to a journey that you can go on as a a modeler. Clearly in Excel at the moment, there's lots of new stuff coming out, lots of flashy things. I I would say don't get too sidetracked by the new flashy stuff if you're right at the start of your journey. So if you still struggle with some of the fundamentals of like, you know, logical problems, Boolean logic, uh, flags, factors, tables, power query, all of this stuff, don't get sidetracked because you're seeing everybody using Lambda and dynamic arrays. Just stick on your path and build the fundamentals as best you can. It's the whole thing like with you know, driving a, a Tesla or having a fully automated car. I still think we should hold on to the skill of being able to manually do all of these fundamentals ourselves, even if the world is going to change in the next sort of five, 10 years.
0: Sure. Even if AI is going to build a model for us, we still need to know how to build it. Just like math. We still need to know how to do certain things in math, even if we can pick up a calculator. There's value in understanding the underlying principles that drive whatever you know, you're trying to learn. We'll go to you next, Dave. Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, not so much advice, but a tip I've given in response to people asking me, um, how are you so quick at Excel? Press Control F1. Do you know what that does? Go ahead and tell us. Control F1, hide your ribbon. Hide your ribbon, force yourself to learn the keyboard shortcuts. Everything in the ribbon can be hit with Alt. If you hide the ribbon and force yourself to learn keyboard shortcuts, before you know it, you'll be working twice as fast in Excel, and that gives you more time for thinking.
0: Great. So we got the uh, keyboard shortcuts. Always a great one. Raphael.
3: I like the shortcuts. I have another one to add. I think that embrace the fact that more than half of your time modeling will be about formatting and painting, which is cruel to think about. But we are visual uh, animals. It's very important how the model look. I mean, I'm not able to trust a model that's not properly formatted. This is a very difficult part, I mean, because that means that we need to spend a lot of time formatting. Just uh, choose a good podcast like the Financial Models uh, Corner podcast or any, any other or good music and pl- plug it in your headphones and, and start, uh, start painting around because it will be half of your modeling life. But uh, enjoy it because that, that will create models that will be aesthetically pleasing and functional. But also uh, the mod, I mean, uh, what I say some of my students is that w- w- the day you will die your models will still be here. Okay, the other, your legacy in this world. So uh, you don't want people to think that you were you are building crappy or bad, poorly looking models.
0: I love it. Don't want garbage in, garbage out or models that are just ugly to look at even if they're well-designed because you have your your management looking at them and you want to make it look good for them. So, you know, we're pretty much at the end of our time, but we're going to move to uh last question here the audience wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, you know, what would be the best way for them to do that? And Rafael, we'll start with you on this question.
3: Say LinkedIn, uh, that's, that's the best way to reach out to me. I'm very active also in, in the, in the valuation, local valuation association of Luxembourg. For those who don't know where Luxembourg is, and because I know that this is between Belgium, Germany, and and France, is the second country in terms of investment funds that are established worldwide. And we have a very healthy, growing environment of alternative investments and many opportunities for talented modelers and finance professionals.
1: Great. Thank you, Raphael. Dave? Yeah, probably easiest to find me on LinkedIn uh, if you don't know me already. And once you've joined the FMI, I'll see you on the FMI platform. Uh, I'm always on there interacting with people.
0: Great. And how about yourself, Giles? I, I'm going to take a
2: second opportunity to plug my vlog that I haven't released yet, because I'm also learning that it's very hard to actually produce a vlog. LinkedIn's the easy one, but I'm coming out with a vlog called Excel on the Road. I've just come back from Australia interviewing Danielle, uh, who's in the audience, and Rickard. And, uh, and yeah, but you will get updates if you just
0: follow me on LinkedIn. Well, thank you, each of you for joining us today. And thank, I want to thank the audience for listening. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have this show. And, you know, just a reminder, the show is sponsored by the Financial Modeling Institute. If you're interested in doing the accreditations, if you go to their website, you use the code podcast, you can save 15%. And more important than that is, you know, just take the time to continue to invest in yourself to become a better financial modeler. All three of our guests here have invested in themselves. That's the number one thing I'll say is they've spent many hours learning and honing their craft. And that's really how you become better at financial modeling. So again, thank you for joining us. And we've really enjoyed this hour with each of you and look forward to releasing this episode. So thank you, everyone. Financial Modeler's Corner was brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. Visit FMI at www.fminstitute.com podcast and use code podcast to save 15% when you enroll in one of their accreditations today.